Welcome to the Disruptor Series podcast, where we listen to and learn from the people who are disrupting business, culture, and life. I'm your host, Rob Schwartz. Today, we're thrilled to bring you a special live episode featuring Hollywood writer, producer, and showrunner Alan Yang. Live at TBWA Shiat Day in New York, Disruptor Series co-founder Doug Melville sits down with Alan to discuss how he's disrupting the writer's room and the rest of show business. Take it away, Doug. All right, so let's get down to business, Alan. You are in the building. We thank you so much for coming here today. Um, and let's Thanks just, for having me. Let's just kind of start with uh, how, how you began your career. Um, so you're a younger guy, and uh, you've been seasoned. You know, you're 10-plus years in the game. But yeah. how, how did it all start? Because you're from Riverside, California, which is not L.A. It's very – who's from Riverside here? Wow, really? I was born in San Bernardino. Where'd you go to high school? Did you go to high school out there? Wow, that's crazy. I went to Riverside Poly. So, yeah, as she knows, what's your name? Well, I don't know. What's your first name? Bridget. Bridget. As Bridget knows. <laughs> what name? <laughs> what name? I said, what's your name? <laughs> no, as Bridget knows, you know, it's not a hotbed of uh, entertainment industry, uh, you know, education out there. So we definitely like, you know, as growing up, I really love movies and TV shows and comedy and stuff. Uh, but it really never occurred to me that this could be a job. You know, I didn't know anyone who worked in entertainment. You know, my parents are both immigrants from Taiwan. Uh, my mom's a high school teacher and my dad's a doctor. And uh, it, uh, yeah, so I just, I like watching that stuff and I just never considered that this was a job. So um, I went to college and I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I majored in biology because I was a good Asian kid. And uh, yeah, so I was like, I'll keep a lot of doors open because I, li- I like doing a lot of things. I like music. I played in a rock band for a while. Um, and I started writing for a comedy, ma- comedy magazine in college. And basically what that allowed me to do was it gave me the confidence to move out to LA and be unemployed because a couple of my other friends were doing that. So I just moved out to LA after college and um, just tried to start writing scripts and tried to start getting an agent and all that stuff. And um, yeah, I can't imagine. I felt really lucky because I had a couple friends out there with me. Um, and if you go to a school where you don't like write for a comedy magazine or like, are you aren't, or you aren't in like an improv class or something, man, it's a real risk to go out there and it's scary to be out there all alone. So um, yeah, I'm really grateful for meeting all those people. And I still know them to this day, you know, some of them, they're still in comedy and we work together and we hire each other and stuff. So that's really fun. Cool. Now, how did you, uh, how, what was the aha moment that you could actually turn writing and creativity into a career? Cause I think the biggest challenge is our parents. Yeah. And we don't have contacts. We don't really have a pipeline. We just say, I would love to write a show, but we don't really necessarily know just uh, for younger people at large. So so what was the moment for you where after watching rerun after rerun, you said, you know, I could hang. I could write one of these. Well, I think the interesting thing is it's, you know, even when you're working, you still have those sort of insecurities. I think a lot of people, even if you're working on a show or you had, a, even if you had your own show, you know, there's a lot of sort of, that's part of being a writer, I think, is you're driven to keep doing it all the time. And so I think, you know, hopefully you're still hungry. You know, hopefully it's not like, no, I'm good at this now. It's like, I don't think you ever get to that moment. Or maybe you do, you're like, I'm okay at this, but you know, you really should just be sort of always looking for the next thing. And I think that's really good. But as far as, you know, not knowing anyone in the business and sort of, I think you just gotta get out there and do whatever it is you're interested in doing. So if you're interested in comedy, you know, go do comedy, go write sketches and do sketch comedy or do stand up or do improv or, you know, hopefully meet other writers, you know, get out there and meet people so you don't feel so alone. Because that is, as you were saying, it's a big hurdle, you know, especially if your parent isn't like a huge director or writer or something. Yeah. You don't know anybody. And I think, that, you know, you work as a diversity officer. And so I think, you know, a lot of people, if you're not, you know, a straight white guy, you might not have as many connections as other people. So you really have to work twice as hard. And I think um, not having connections is a you know, it's something you have to overcome. <laughs> like, I didn't have any connections. You know, my dad working at like a sugar factory growing up in Taiwan. Like he didn't, uh, <laughs> he didn't know anybody in Hollywood. No hookups. <laughs> yeah, he had no hookups for me. No, it is tough. I, my dad's a judge, and yeah. it took him years for him to understand that uh, I'm a diversity officer. He, <laughs> yeah, he's you know, because he was like, "Is that? Do you need to go to law school for yeah, that?" Yeah, you know, everything yeah. ha- everything was through the lens of law school. Yeah. So I think uh, parents don't necessarily know. Uh, the modern world as it relates to jobs that when they grew up weren't even available. So yes, part that, of it is not 
them being negative or, you know, drinking the haterade. It's just more about I want my child to be in the best circumstance and I don't understand what writing. No, uh, I totally agree. And I got to give it up for my parents, man. They were so supportive because what I was what I told them was I want to be a writer, but I was essentially saying I want to go be broke in L.A. And that's what I did for like a year or two. Right. Like, how was that? Yeah, it was. I mean, it was tough. I was, you know, I was living in a cheap ass apartment on, on Fairfax and paying 500 bucks a month for rent. But that's what you got to do, you know, when you start yeah. now, because otherwise you're not going to make it. <laughs> you got to save that money. Now, did you start out doing stand up or how, how did in the comedy field, because most people roll in through stand up careers, I would assume. But how did you begin the process of knowing that comedy was your genre? Was that what you were most attracted to? Yeah, it definitely was early on. You know, I think I was a pretty funny kid in high school and like me and my friends just like to joke around. But again, I never thought that was a career. So it really came about because you know, I met some like-minded people in college and started hanging out with them, and we all wanted to be writers. So um, that really helped. And, you know, I didn't actually ever do – I did stand-up, like, for the first time, like, a few times this year. Like, and now I'm old, you know? <laughs> it's like, I'll just go and, like, doing stand-up for fun. But, uh, no, I didn't start doing stand-up. But I do think that's a great way to start, especially, you know, even if you don't intend on doing stand-up as, as your career, I think if you're a comedy writer, it forces you to go up there and figure out how you're – how you're funniest, what your sort of voice is, what your persona is, and um, and it's plus it's brutal up there standing, and it gives you respect for people who perform. So yeah, so let's kind of walk through the big break. So you're in L.A., you're on Fairfax, five hundred a month. <laughs> yeah. And what is the what do you do every day? Kind of walk us through your routine because I think this is a relatable moment for many people. When you're there, you've geographically desirable to the industry you want to work in, but what are you actually doing? And what is the aha moment that kind of pushes you over the top or introduces you? Is it networking or? Is yeah, it, well, uh, I'll tell you what I did a lot of the time. Um, sit in that apartment and write scripts, <laughs> just write a bunch of scripts. And then on Friday night, maybe two of your other broke friends would come over. We'd walk across the street to Rite Aid and buy a 30-pack of Milwaukee's Best Light for $13 yeah, yeah. and then play Xbox for like an hour. <laughs> that was like our Friday night because yeah. it's like you're just, you're just trying to make it do. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then me and my friend got a job. Uh, actually, this is, this is, so I had a roommate, and the two of us were both trying to be writers. And so the first job we ever got was writing for an educational software company. And so we lived together. And then we would commute to work together in like Culver City for like 40 minutes. So we'd sit in the same car. We wake up, leave our bedrooms, come out and eat cereal and watch old reruns of like the X-Men cartoon. And then driving a car down to like, you know, wherever we were in Culver City. We sit in the same office and then we wrote lines for this uh, this program called Study Dog, which was like a cartoon dog who taught you how to play like to, to do math. <laughs> so that's what we did all day. Yeah. Then we'd have lunch together and then we drove home and then we'd eat dinner together. <laughs> like, it was like, that was, that was our lives. But at the same time, you're just writing other stuff, right? So, you know, by the time, you know, I applied to other jobs and, and had an agent and stuff, I'd probably written, you know, 10, 10 scripts for, for, for TV shows, like 10 spec scripts. And I had a couple movies and I wrote sketch packets for basically every late night show. And that's actually how I got my first job. Like I applied for, you know, one of my first meetings ever, um, I, I moved out to L.A. and I got a meeting on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno. So it was, you know, it was a while ago. So Jay Leno was the host of The Tonight Show. And uh, I went out there and I had this meeting and I met with him and his head writer. And, and uh, he was like, OK, so we're trying to add some fresh blood. You know, you're, you're a young dude. Um, you know, this is pretty exciting. Like, how old are you? I was like, I'm 20 years old. And he's like. Oh, I can't hire you. My youngest writer is like 48. He's like, come in when you like oh come in like God. five years from now when you're like a little old. I can't hire like a 20 year old. <laughs> yeah. I was like, okay, it's great. And so I felt really confident. I was like, wow, like I just moved to LA and like I got a meeting on the Tonight Show. You know, I just got there and so I was pretty confident. And then didn't get anything for like didn't get another meeting for like a year probably. Just had had nothing going on. And so that's again another another point is like it all comes like you, you don't know. All that stuff's really unpredictable and, and and it's all just kind of you know a lot of it's opportunity and luck and timing and being prepared when that opportunity comes. So um yeah I would say, you know, I and I worked on Last Call of Carson Daly for years. You know, I was there for two or three years and, you know, not the greatest comedy show in the world maybe, but Carson was really a nice boss and you know, most writing staffs have 15 writers and we had three. So we did everything on that show. You know, we acted in the bits and we edited stuff and we, you know, helped the cue card guy and we helped cast. And so that was a good education in terms of just getting your feet wet. 
it's almost a perfect job because you could at least see all the roles and the jobs uh, at an entry level. And plus yeah, and there's no risk. 1230 yeah, exactly. There's, there's the no morning. risk because no one's seeing anything you make. <laughs> so you're just able to make it, and then no one gives a shit. So it's totally yeah, fine. Yeah, basically, unless you record it and forward the link, no one ever. It's at 1.30. We were just putting ourselves in all the bits. It was crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was insane. Um, so you're a big sports fan, and uh, I, I read about this – Q&A section on a baseball blog uh, that you did. Boy, that you... is really niche. You really, yeah, yeah, yeah really no, I want to talk blog. about this because yeah. this is an important, I feel that it was a defining moment yeah, uh, this in was... regards to uh, your next transition to it, Parks and It Red. really was. So I, this is so niche, but uh, yeah, when I was working on South Park, um, a bunch of us, so it started when we were in New York and a bunch of us used to go watch Red Sox games um, and uh we were on this email list, and there are other people on the list. Like it was a pretty crazy list of people, some entertainment people. Um, and we started getting mad when we watched baseball games and write angry emails to this list about the commentators on the baseball game. Again, this is really niche. I'm sorry, guys, but you, we would make fun of the people commenting on the game. And so eventually, people wrote back to the list and was like, "Guys, you gotta stop emailing this list. I'm really bored by all this." And like, there's so much writing. We're like, but a couple of friends of mine were and me were we were crazy enough. So we just someone started a blogger account. I was like, we'll just write all this stuff in the blogger account. <laughs> and so some of the the other guy who ended up writing the most along with me was Mike Schur, um, who was a writer for the Office at the time. And we didn't really know each other. Um, but basically through this blog, which was called Fire Joe Morgan, um, it was basically a baseball commentary commentary blog so any like piece about baseball or whatever we would write a rebuttal piece it was the biggest waste of time you could possibly imagine but we and we both had full-time jobs like he was on the office i was on south park but like we would go home and write ten thousand words about you know john crook talking about base it was it was a huge waste of time but ultimately like you were saying you know when mike and greg daniels got their uh, their own show after the office um I was like, well, I know that guy. <laughs> he has a show now. <laughs> and, you know, so I, I submitted a pilot, and, and Mike was like, yeah, I really like your pilot. Obviously, Greg has to read it. And Greg, you know, is a genius. He created King of the Hill and The Office and all these shows. Um, and so I waited, and Mike was like, fortunately, I'm also familiar with your other writing because I've read probably conservatively two million words of your writing about baseball. <laughs> so, so, yeah, he'd been, he'd been reading, you know, we'd been reading each other's stuff for years and years on this weird blog. Um, but, yeah, it became a little bit kind of niche popular, and, like, some baseball players knew about it and would get in touch with us. It was really crazy. It was, it was largely based also a little bit on the philosophies of Moneyball, that Michael Lewis book. So eventually, like, Michael Lewis found the blog, and he would write to it. It was very crazy. It was, and, and we used pseudonyms on the site too so nobody knew that we were actually professional writers yeah. everyone thought we were like 12 year olds in in basements <laughs> or whatever so. yeah well i ask about that because i think a lot of times people wait for their big opportunity to do their writing or to make their idea and they say if i just had a blank or yeah. if x would call me or y would call me and i think uh, the learning there is really you have to keep writing all the time constantly in a form where yeah. it could be read because you never know who reads it yeah that's i think that's a great lesson i mean it's it's just the most boring advice possible when people ask me for advice i'm also i'm also i'm usually just like just write every day and and by the way write about stuff you really care about and you're really passionate about and it sounds trite but it's difficult to do have you ever tried writing every day it sucks it's really boring and hard like it's really hard so <laughs> so you know i i don't know if this is an apocryphal story or not but i heard something like this along the lines of this story that i think jerry seinfeld had where he was walking past a construction site and said well, these guys are doing a really difficult job. It's really physical. It's taxing. And they go in and they punch in in the morning and they work for eight hours or 10 hours or whatever. And they go home. And it's like, well, if I'm serious about being a comedian, why wouldn't I go in somewhere, a coffee shop, and write for eight hours? And it's really difficult to do, but why wouldn't I do that every day? It's easier than what these guys are doing. And it is a job. I mean, all of this is a job. And like, you know, I think anyone who's achieved any level of success in making anything remotely decent, um, has put in a ton of work. That's really, that's really the common factor of everyone I've ever met um, in, in the entertainment industry. They, they work really hard. And the people who are killing it work even harder. Like, they work really, really hard. So, unfortunately, all the shit that your parents told you about working hard is true. <laughs> it's, a, it's a, you know, if you're an athlete, it's free throws in the gym. You know, they, they say, you know, we have to shoot free throws every day, all day, eight hours, 10 hours. No one ever sees it, and it's 
it's the work that you put in. And I it's think there, man. It's the, there. The, the, the writer's room uh, is probably a similar form where if, if you don't write every day, uh, you just don't you're not able to really make it very culturally and, and nuanced to the to the level where it could be sold. Yeah, I was I was thinking about that because, you know, I have a new show for, for Amazon right now and, and I've been going to the writer's room. I'm like, man, this is really fun because these people like the people that we hired on our staff are really funny and smart. And I feel like I've been really lucky to be in so many great writers rooms mm -hmm. like learning from people getting people's perspectives you know master none we had a great one in parks and rec we had a great writers room and you know it's it can be a grind but it's really it's really really fun to just be in that room with with amazing people so tell us about the writers room are they when you walk into this room um you're an asian american and uh you know there probably isn't many in the writers rooms maybe there is uh, but, I never but, worked with another Asian person until the show Master of None where I hired some Asian people. <laughs> okay. well, that's, that's amazing. So what 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 is is the writer's room being disrupted now? Is it is it? Yeah, kind of it explain really to is, us man. It really where, is. Where, is, where does it all happen? Uh, you know, uh, kind of set the stage and, and for I'm, the writer's room. I'm for so us. happy about it because, you know, honestly, it shows that it's still on the air. But but. You know, some of these shows, you would be shocked. You would be shocked. It's like there's 20, 25 writers and 24 of them are white guys. And, you know, no no shade on white guys. They're, some of them are great writers. But there's got to be some other people out there who can write also. And and so, um, yeah, it, it uh, you know, it, it really, I think you see it more and more with these sort of auteur shows or, you know, smaller order shows with, with stars who don't look like people who've always been on TV. Um, you see it with, you know, you see it with our show, you see it with Insecure, you see it, see it with Atlanta, you see it with, you know, a lot of these shows. And I, I was actually, you know, this wasn't even intentional, but certainly like season two of Master of None, I think we had one white guy, you know, and like, he was great, but we also had a lot of other different kinds of people and, and people who had worked before, some who hadn't worked as much. And, uh, you know, it kind of shows that, you know, you can do that and the show isn't entirely crappy like it's fine like it came out fine <laughs> like, you know it's like it totally like yeah. it, it totally was fine um but yeah even you know i'm you know i was talking to my friend who who, write, who helps run the simpsons and he was like yeah you got to send me people because like he's like we've had a lot of the same writers for a long time like send me people and when we'll hire them i was like great so this is all it's slowly 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 changing yeah. um and i think it's smart you know i think it's smart because some of the things i've said publicly there's not only is it a moral good to to hire people who are diverse? But it ultimately adds to the freshness and originality of some of the stories you're doing, simply because the points of view are different. You know, so I think it's also uh, you're, you're exploiting market inefficiencies to quote Moneyball. You know, it really is like yeah. you. Re it's it's people whose stories have not been told as many times. So when you're at Parks and Rec, you're there seven seasons and. Uh, that in itself is it was the last of the real must see TV era. Yeah. Um, but so then you get the opportunity to make your own show. Yeah. And Netflix was new. Yeah. And they only had a few shows, if if I uh, remember correctly. When we but, sold the show, they had three shows, House of Cards, Orange is the New Black and this show Lilyhammer which was about a Norwegian gangster. <laughs> it was about a, yeah. it was about a, a like a, 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 I think it was Stevie Van Zandt from The Sopranos right. and he was oh, in Stevie Norway. And I was like, oh wow, they and, had three shows. <laughs> <laughs> and what made you go to Netflix or did they come to you? Because this uh, is a pivotal moment. Now you get to essentially fill your own team and your own roster and tell your own stories. But Netflix is so new at that time and- Really new, really So new. green on original programming. How did you know that that was the right angle or it was just, the only gig in town or you felt good about we it felt or? good so we went Aziz and i had an idea for the show and actually it was in between season six and seven of parks mm -hmm. and you met um, aziz on parks and rec yes we met season one of parks we were both there for the whole time and so we got to know each other we, we were you know we were buddies and we pitched the show around you know we pitched it to a few places sort of all the premium cable places and netflix came really hard netflix really liked the pitch and Honestly, they guaranteed us the whole season, which was a huge plus. Um, they they were gonna let us do Without it. Without a pilot, is no it? pilot. Yeah, I, I've I've been really lucky because you know Parks and Rec didn't have to do a pilot, and and that show didn't, and and the new show doesn't have to do a pilot either, which I, you know is just really really lucky. But uh, um, yeah, so no pilot, which is huge because you know with a lot of these places you do a pilot. I've had friends who've had pilots places, and then they're kept waiting for five years you know it's like you got to do other jobs you know that's insane you can't you <laughs> yeah. can't wait that long so um but yeah they were they were really 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 uh aggressive and they 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 were they believed in us 
And what was great about that is we then didn't know whether we were going to do a season seven of Parks and Rec. Season seven got picked up. So we went back to work on that show. And so we just kind of put a pin in Master None for a year. And it was the best thing that could have ever happened. Because honestly, the pitch we had for the show, like before that, it was like it was pretty bad. It was like it was just like it was like yeah, we're like you know it's like young people hanging out and like dating in New York. Like we like, I don't know what I don't know why we sold the show. It is super it was, relatable. Yeah, but but like yeah, we were we just didn't have anything. And so once the show became real and we had a little bit of time, we started really thinking and saying, wow, we have this opportunity to this is real. We're gonna make this show. We better make it interesting or do the best we can. And so that's how some of the more, I think, interesting ideas for season one came about because Zizi and I were just panicking and we came to New York and just like walked around like, man, we got to make this show. Like, let's like if we get if we have to do this, like, let's not let's not crap to bed here, man. And so we definitely like, you know, it was crazy because we walk around New York and that's how some of the episode ideas came up. You know, one of them was actually the New York I Love You episode. That we talked about that season one. That was like, we just passed a guy on the street who was like selling sunglasses. Like, what's that guy's life? Like, what if the camera was following you and then it just went to that guy and then we, we just followed that guy the whole episode? Like, and we <laughs> yeah. thought of that, we just never did it. And the same thing happened for the, like the, uh, you know, I remember we were just kind of beating our heads against the wall and, uh, you know, we were in a hotel room and um, I was like, man, no matter what happens, you know, my dad grew up in a, you know, a hut the size of this this stage in like a tiny village in Taiwan. So, and now we get to make a TV show. So whatever happens, it's all gravy. Even if we totally fail, it's all gravy. And he's like, he was like, wait, did that really happen? I was like, yeah, I think, you know, he didn't have enough food to eat. He killed his pet chicken for food. He's like, what? We like, let's just put all that in the show. Like that's yeah, the show. Yeah. I was like, oh yeah, okay, great. We have an episode now. <laughs> <laughs> that's one episode. So um, yeah, I mean, sometimes your desperation, like, well, we'll feed, we'll feed the show. So. It's amazing when the idea goes all the way to production. Though, I right? know. It's like, then we were shooting. Then my dad was just texting me pictures of his house and we built it in Bushwick. This is very weird. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, I was like, I was like send me pictures of your mom. Okay, we're going to like show you, you're going to cast your mom now. <laughs> then he sent me pictures of him as a little boy. We're like, okay, we're going to dress this little boy like you. Like, that's very weird. Um, but oh, so it, you yeah. use pictures from your dad. It's uh, all my dad's stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's like he sent me every all that stuff. That stuff's all real. So Is that yeah. why it's so relevant? I mean, because each of the episodes you make is so culturally relevant and so detailed to yeah. society that uh, you're using real stories. I mean, it's not in Bushwick. But, no, uh, yeah, I think as much as possible, man, that's the secret. Just like like get real stories from real life. I guess like make a lot of mistakes and do funny stuff because then you can just put in your show. But uh, it definitely like as much as possible, use the real stuff. There's just some, there's some tincture of reality to it that is, is hard to do from stuff that's purely fabricated. So we steal from our lives. We steal from uh, our writers' lives. And, and, uh, and I think that makes for the best stuff. Yeah. So that was the parents episode. Yeah. Um, and that was the season one's most well, well known and, uh, kind of most revered episode and in yeah. a second I want to actually play your clip uh, from when you accepted the Emmy yeah but in in the process of creating for streaming versus creating on Parks and Rec how does it work do you have to create all the episodes and shoot them in one clip and then they just air or yeah you know versus so, Parks and Rec where maybe there was one a week or kind of walk us through the difference yes, from a content is, creator standpoint. it actually is very different and and the biggest difference is the sheer number of episodes you have to do I mean there was one there's one season of Parks and Rec we had to do 30 episodes it was it was cr I mean that's a lot that's it's, you know that's a thousand pages of writing and so um, I remember we I think it was season two we did 24 and then Amy Poehler got pregnant and NBC was like, well, let's, why don't you guys make six more really quick so we don't have to have a break next year. And so we did six more and then they pushed us to mid season the next year and she was pissed. <laughs> but anyway, it was, it was, it was definitely, um, you know, the way that show works is there's more of a division of labor. So if you're the showrunner on that show, like Mike was, um, you, you can write the first three or four, but then suddenly you're shooting and then you're in the midst of it. And as you were saying, you do it week by week. And so, if you're the showrunner of that show, you can't necessarily be involved in all aspects. And there's sort of three big chunks of making a show. There's the writing, there's the shooting, and then there's the editing. And so on a show like Parks and Rec, all three of those things are happening concurrently. So at any given time, in the middle of the process, you might be breaking stories for an episode, writing the script for another one, table reading another one, and then you might also be shooting an episode and editing two or three other ones. So at any given time, you might be working on eight or nine episodes. On a show like Master of None, we write everything first. So we write all 10 episodes. We know 
what the last frame of the entire season is before we shoot anything. So it's more like a movie. And it allows Aziz and I to be involved in every aspect of the process. So we are there for every second of writing. We're there for every frame that we shoot of the show. And then we're there for every part of editing. And, and there's no part that we have not touched. And all the way through, sound mix, color correct, and all of that. So um, to me, it's just a more humane way of making the show. And it allows, I think it allows the creators of the show to just be intimately involved uh, the whole way. And the same thing's happening for the Amazon show where you know, I'm there and my co-creator's there for, for all of it. And, and it really helps when you're shooting, too, because then the actors then know we can tell them exactly what happens for the entire season, and, and they can know uh, it helps their performance, I think. Is that a draw um, for streaming versus traditional outlets? Is the process alone of being able to create all the episodes in one clip and focus on one storyline at a time a, a much bigger draw for someone like yourself than to go to network or it's definitely does, a draw yeah. is the money the same uh the money yeah i think the it, money's the money i think i think there's like a crazy like if you create a giant network hit you probably are rolling in money i wouldn't know but you know it, it, it definitely sure. yeah but <laughs> but you know look if you're if you get the opportunity to make a show you, you're being paid a living wage you're making enough money you're, you're okay for me like that's fine like i'm sure like you know if you want uh, you know larry david money or whatever then you should probably do a network show <laughs> but i but yeah. i don't know I, like, I don't know what that's like so yeah. um but yeah i think that's a draw and as well and in addition you don't have to make everything the same length i know that sounds stupid but you know a show like parks and rec every episode is 21 minutes and 15 seconds and that's down to the second to the point which you have to like literally cut frames at episodes so um you know master none we have a 20 minute episode and we have like a 53 minute episode and everywhere in between which is which is nice yeah that's a great creative freedom so the emmys so 2016 happens your show debuted master of none around two years ago uh it was in november uh 2015 so around two years ago from yep. where we are today and you get nominated for an emmy and what's going through your mind because this is your first kind of trip around the ball field with your own creative yeah, product. It was and great. We were really happy, man. We were really happy. I remember, I think we were writing, boy, I guess we were writing season two, but yeah, the nominations came out. I didn't really want to watch them. And then, you know, Aziz and I, Aziz was like, oh, let's put them on. So we put them on in the writer's room. And yeah, it was really rewarding. I was really happy. And I was happy for everyone who worked on the show, too, because I think a lot of people took sort of a leap of faith and the writing staff and the actors and, and the crew. And so, yeah, I mean, it, it's. It was really special about it too was that it was our parents' story, and and it was, um, you know, that's all you know. Z's parents play themselves in the show, and all that stuff is true. Like you know, and the the slight deviations from truth are are, are pretty minimal. You know, they really I love uh, that. Z's his yeah. parents play themselves. Yeah. And then, so did you think about casting your parents as themselves? I did, or? and I still might cast my mom. I still I yeah, still okay. tell her I might cast you. <laughs> she hasn't been in the show yet, so her character hasn't been in the show. My dad's too much of a grunt, man. He won't do it. <laughs> but no, he's too serious. But uh, like he is in the show. Uh, but my mom's really funny, man. I should put her in something. So you you get nominated for the Emmy. You watch the other competitors. Yeah. And then you go to the Emmy. It's your first time at the show. No, I've been in before, man. Yeah. So Parks and Rec, we would go sometimes, uh -huh. but we never won. So. <laughs> okay. So you're there. Uh, you're near the front row, and then the names are called. And then are you thinking you're gonna win or? No, what are you thinking is going I, we on? We definitely here? didn't think we were gonna win. Like we, de like I don't know. You never think you're gonna win. I don't think. And like, there's a bunch of other shows who, like, you know, they're popular that have won before. So I don't. I didn't think we were gonna win. Um, but yeah, it, it is crazy when you go up there because uh, you go up and I, you know, as you see in the clip, like Matt LeBlanc is there. Like, I think Matt LeBlanc yeah, presented Matt LeBlanc, or something. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, that was funny. And then, yeah. and then, uh, then uh, you he go has all up. Gray hair you now. go out there. It's like a big ass room, man. It's like a big room. And then they immediately start showing an inverted like hourglass so as soon as you, you you take the mic like the hourglass is just going down like this and it's like it's like almost immediately it's like wrap up and I, like we, we had a plan like you know i didn't mean to like just hog all the time i was like i'll talk for a little bit and then aziz will talk and they won't cut you off because you're famous so so <laughs> i started and i was like okay my thing i talked for like 15 seconds and i was like they'll let him talk and then they didn't let him talk I was like, what are they doing he's like let him talk people know him they cut him off Hold, yeah, well, let's uh it was ridiculous let's uh, set this audio we're gonna show the clip right here Wow, uh, thank you very much to everyone who worked on the show, our amazing cast and crew, uh, Universal and Netflix, uh, Cindy Holland, Ted Sarandos, uh, John, uh, Bob, uh, Jen, Perlina, Bella, 
Um, and most of all, thank you to my family. I love you guys so much, and you were the inspiration for this episode. Um, there's 17 million Asian Americans in this country, and there's 17 million Italian Americans. They have the Godfather, Goodfellas, Rocky, The Sopranos. We got Long Duck Dog, so we got a long way to go. But I know we can get there. I believe in us. It's just gonna take a lot of hard work. Asian parents out there, if you could just do me a favor, if just a couple of you get your kids' cameras instead of violins, we'll be all good. So, we'll just do it. Uh. <laughs> then they started playing music loudly, and he said, he said, bye guys, and then he ran off stage. It was like, yeah. So, that was an interesting point you brought up. Brought yep. up. So, you, here it is, your moment, you're on stage, national TV. And you talk about the disparity of creativity from Italian Americans to Asian Americans. So, what what made you think of that moment? Was that planned or? It, uh, I, I I thought about that kind of stuff before. Certainly, like, and by the way, not slamming Italian Americans. They make the best movies. Great. Like I was trying to say, like they made masterpieces. Um, but you know, it it I definitely thought about how, you know, growing up as an Asian kid in America, you definitely didn't. I didn't see anyone who was remotely representative of, of what I felt like my life was like. And, you know, there are a number of reasons for that, both demographic and, and, and sort of, um, you know, a number of number of different factors play into that. But one, one of them is that, you know, Asian parents don't want their kids to do that stuff. Yeah, so that, yeah. that actually is part of it. That actually is part of it. And so I did actually just look up the numbers because I was curious. I was like, how many Italian people are in America? Because they got a lot of great stuff. Like they got a lot of great movies and we don't have anything. Um, but yeah, I used to have an argument, not an argument really, just a conversation with my friend in, in college. And he was like, we need more black representation in movies, TV, everything. I was like, I totally agree. Like I totally agree. Like, you know, like not only more, but more diverse representation. That being said, when's the last time you saw an Asian guy kiss anyone in anything? Like, like it just doesn't exist. Like, in that time, I was like, you know, that was 15 years ago. So it was like Harold and Kumar or bust. But, uh, yeah. um, we're, and, and we went getting, to White Cat. They yeah, had, a know, whole, got, had a good run. We, we got one movie. That's yeah, it. Like, think yeah. of like a, like a mainstream. Even Long Duck Dong, though, that was considered the last yeah, of kind of the but, stereotypical. And, and, and part of it is like um, being the lead, right? Like, part of it is like, okay, we also don't have any leads. And that's another thing that I've, I, I've, I've talked about where, um, we don't have any movie stars. Like, we don't have anyone who can open a movie. You can't say, like, okay, I'm going to write... If he's like, I'm going to write a Kevin Hart movie, like, great, here's the money. But, like, there's no one... We don't have anyone you can do that for. So, um, that's important, too. Because, you know, Ziz and I have talked about this a lot. The lead gets to express the biggest range of emotions. The lead suffers the most. The lead gets to either, you know, suffer setbacks or go after the girl or guy or, you know, the lead is the one you're seeing the story through. And if you're not the lead, even if you're in something but you're not the lead, then it, you're not quite there yet. And so that was really important to us too. Um, and we're getting better. We're getting better. We're not there yet, but, but I, you know, we're getting better. So, so your show is really a platform for so much diversity. Um, this year, you were nominated again for the Thanksgiving episode. Yeah, Lena and Aziz uh, won. Lena and Aziz won uh, for the season two Thanksgiving, which was mind blowing. Everybody loved it. Similar to the parents episode, it was shot and developed and created differently um, than the other episodes in the series. Yeah. But did you, when you started Master of None, did you feel that it would actually be a lightning bolt or a carrier for diversity? Because we had no idea. We, like, honestly, I, like, this sounds like weird, like I'm lying or something, but we, no, we made the show and then we watched it. And we're like, we like this. And then I don't think Netflix thought it would be big. I mean, none of us thought it would be like a big show we were like this is just a very personal show for us and we hope people like it it definitely you know like you were saying it's personal and specific to our experiences i'm, mm -hmm. I'm glad that you know it seems to have connected on some level but it but we didn't and we, we we didn't intend for it to be a political show in any way either you know it's really just kind of a just personal stories about our lives and i think People ask like, "Oh, was it a point of yours to like make it about diversity and make the, the show?" It's like, no. Like when I go to dinner with Aziz and our friends, like already like half the table is diverse because it's two of us, and then like you know the, the people <laughs> in the show like look like our friends. Like yeah. Lena's our friend, and like Eric's our friend, and like it's so that's just the show. And 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 the same thing with the writers' room. It's like we hired people we knew, and 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 it's very to me it's it's a very organic way to do that and a very natural way because 
that's what it looks like when we go to dinner. You yeah. know, it's not like we're, I think it, it often fails when you're trying to do it in an unnatural way. But th there's so many people talking about diversifying their creative industries. I know we're in advertising, but television, movies, fashion, finance. I mean, it's really all the industries. But yeah. what do you think is really the holdup? Is it there's not enough kind of uh, Netflix style, let's just try different things and systems are set up because more people are talking about it now than, yeah. than have ever brought it up, but the change is slow. So for change your perspective- slow. It's it's institutional, right? It's not like, I, don't, I honestly don't think that many people are like, I only wanna hire white people. I think that that's, that happens, but I think it's not super widespread. I think it's more like, I want to hire someone that I know is safe and competent and, and it's honestly on, like usually people you know or it's like people you went to school with or like you know people your family knows and a lot of times if you're a white person like a lot of those people are white also and it's not like you're trying you're not trying to discriminate you're just hiring who but you there's know. A, yeah exactly there's like a passive discrimination because it's people in your own circles and your circles oftentimes look like you not always but they but oftentimes they do and so you know there that's that's the status quo and if you're not trying to actively combat that that's what's going to keep being perpetuated so you know i think that happens a lot and you see it in every industry it happens in entertainment but it, it it happens everywhere but that definitely like you know i'm definitely trying to actively combat that and 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 if we have you know I'm I'm no you know I've definitely hired people I know like I've hired people for Master of None on the new show, um, but you know some of them are brown people or women you know <laughs> it's like, yeah yeah no it's you're like, mixing it up to, yeah. to reflect your room where where yeah. they mix it up to reflect theirs so uh, I'm gonna play another clip here this is you from um, this is the Critics Choice Awards uh, when you won for uh, best comedy series so I, I want to. Because you're really using these these moments, <laughs> winning awards as platforms to kind of talk about what you're feeling. Yeah, so I just, yeah, I'm absolutely. gonna I'm gonna just play I'm not this. Not shy one. in these for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, no, you're really and Aziz still lets you talk first, even though he doesn't. You, you he take talks up enough, all man. the time. He's on TV enough. <laughs> you take up all the time, but he doesn't care. Thank you so much, everybody. Thank you. Uh, thank you to the critics. Um, this is awesome. Um, thank you to Netflix and Universal. And uh, thank you to the amazing cast and crew, uh, man, Noel, Lena, Eric, Kelvin, and uh, obviously thank you to this gentleman right here, the best partner that I could have asked for. Um, uh, thank you to my friends and family, and also thank you, to, uh, thank you to all the straight white guys who dominated movies and TV so hard for so long that stories about anyone else seem kind of fresh and original now because <laughs> you guys just crushed it for so long that anything else seems kind of kind of different um all right aziz you want to talk uh thank you um thank you thank you to uh everyone at netflix ted serrano alan you almost forgot the people that gave us the show jesus i thank them. dude didn't even thank netflix <laughs> i don't know why he said that i did <laughs> he wasn't listening but uh you know, I think that's another interesting platform um, uh, to say that because I think diversity is coming through a lens where it's it's different now. Uh, the yeah. story ideas, the narratives, the context, the process. So it, it's finding different opportunities. It's almost like a superhero where people are like, it's so new. I think it's, it's good. So yeah, well, it's better that it's, it's cool. It's just yeah. different than the status quo, which Absolutely. most people are shooting for. I think the challenge even in ad advertising is clients sometimes want to keep it you know, a little bit conservative yeah. and then people with certain roles and jobs within the organizations and creatives and everybody, you just want to keep it kind of flowing and going as it is. Yeah. But um, the people that want to take the chances and really uh, kind of go on a limb, um, very kind of depending on the company or there's or, a reward. There's definitely a reward there. I mean, it's like, you know, when when Donald did his show in Atlanta, it's like, well, yeah, I want to see what it's like living there. I don't. I haven't seen a show from the perspective of a young black man in Atlanta. Like that's a really well done show from a point of view we haven't seen. So, so obviously it's going to be fresher than those other shows. It just is. Now, one thing uh, you brought up in a recent interview was uh, in 2015 you talked about Mad Max, Star Wars, and Creed, yeah. all starring a woman and a black guy. 
Yeah, I was like, yeah, it was, yeah. A, it was, it was like in some ways. Look, we still have a long way to go, but yeah, we had a, one of them started a woman, one started a black guy, and Star Wars was a woman and a black guy. Like yeah. that's that's a step forward, man. You ever watch the original Star Wars? You don't see those people. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's really crazy. <laughs> it's really crazy watching those old movies. Now, do you think that that was uh, helps the success is the relatability, even the franchise films? Because I I think that, yeah. you know I, I, just in our roles as diversity officers across advertising, you know, some people are taking traditional we don't really have franchises per se, but, um, but these franchise roles and adding different characters to become more relatable. But do you think that's, that's happening in more writers rooms where the conversations coming up about widening the audience or I think it definitely is. I think it definitely is. And I think it comes up when hiring writers as well. And I think that's really important. We're, certainly for directors, like I think for the new show, um, we're definitely looking for a woman director to ha direct half the episodes. Like I'll do half, and I think you know we'd love to find a woman to do the other half, because um, it's important. It, it's important, and, and yeah, it's, it's it's really fun, man. I you know we got seven Rocky movies. Like okay, let's have one with a black guy. Yeah, sure. We haven't seen that before. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's and it wins an Academy Award. Yeah, I it's mean, a good movie. Yeah, so you can do it. Also shows that you can do it. You know, people who are not these people we've seen do it over and over again other people can assume those mantles and be the stars of these movies and they can work and they can work really well. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, are you going to talk about season three of master or none? Are we, I know it's, I, I think oh, it's man. just, a, I know you haven't committed to it, but we have not committed. Uh, we have, uh, are you holding out for more money? No, it's not a money no. thing. It's basically, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's, it's no, it's me and Aziz text about it. And, and, uh, you know, I, I what would make you want to stop it, though? I mean, if you have a hit, it's more like is it's, it, is it's it typecasting, more, or do you want to do other things creatively? Because it's, it's more a hit like, show. It's more like we only want to do it if we're really excited. You know, we only want to do it if it's if it's something that we're really passionate about and it's really worth doing. And like we want to do something that you know is way better than the first two seasons. And so, um, honestly, it's it part of it is we want stuff to happen in our lives. You know, how much more can we say about being single and eating good food in New York? You know, <laughs> it's like, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, try, you know, hopefully something happens, but, uh, but, uh, yeah, we want it and we want it to be different too. We wanted the same thing over and over again. So all of those factors, you know, to me, it's like, to me, it's more like doing a movie, right? You know, um, you know, you look at those good directors from the seventies or whatever, like no one was like do a movie every nine months or do a movie every year. Like, no, do a movie when you have a great movie in you. And so we feel the same way about the seasons. And, you know, if we have some, you know, we feel like we've talked about it. It's like, oh, if we come up with enough for like five, six, seven episodes, then maybe we'll do another season. Um, but, you know, we love working with each other and, and you know, we like writing stuff together and, and checking each other. So, um, yeah, I think we push each other in a good way. So maybe we'll do something else. We'll see. Maybe you can do BFFs as a show. Yeah, well, right? man, <laughs> some dark turns in that. <laughs> yeah. So even the character, um, before we go on to you being a master foodie, yeah. Uh, but the character uh, Chef Jeff was a character you wrote in the show. Yeah. And he had some kind of uh, issues with, you know, covert sexual harassment. Spoiler and alert for anyone who hasn't seen the show. Yeah, yeah it's a turn. Yeah. yeah, it's a turn at the last episode. But did you? How did you come up with a character? Because that's a that's a, a little bit of an odd character to put as almost the main character throughout the season in some way, shape, or form, but ultimately he was a predator. And, yeah. you know, now I, with the allegations that's coming out, it seems more relevant and even, you know, you were saying people. I know. A couple, th a couple things. Number, yeah, I know. Number one, it's like we wanted to portray how real that is where someone you've known for a long time you know, someone who's in your life. We didn't want to just introduce a character who's like, oh, yeah, that's a predator, and you can get them out of your life. It's more, I think the more real version that we are going for was it's someone who's in your life for a long time, and it's part of them you just haven't seen before, and then suddenly you're, fit, you're forced to deal with it. And so that was really important to us. And the second thing that I want to mention is this is sad, but at the time in the writer's room, we're like, is this going to feel dated? Is this going to feel like... Um, it's very pegged to some topicality from a year and a half ago. And then we decided, no, sadly, sexual harassment in the workplace seems like it's going to be an evergreen issue. Like, it's going to be around and where people are so... And so now, yeah, people, anytime anything happens, people text me like, oh, Chef Jeff again. It's like, oh, man, this is really sad. It's like, <laughs> yeah. like it's bleak. And, you know, hopefully we're turning a corner in that respect. But who knows, man? Who knows? Yeah, I mean, because it's... it's, it's 
you know, in the last month, it's yeah. a few weeks particularly. So you started a foodie show. You are a foodie. You love food. Your eater follows your every move. Yes. Basically. It's very weird. Yes. <laughs> yeah. When I Googled you, eater was following everywhere you go. <laughs> They're obsessed with you. Um, but what uh, what would be your number one restaurant in New York City or your favorite few dishes? I, I just think it few. would be. Yeah, I have a uh, few. Now, and do you also enjoy New York or L.A. culinary experiences? I've, I have. I could, this could be its better. own hour long talk. But yeah, I I, uh, <laughs> I did. I, I wrote a thing. One one week I did a thing for New York Magazine where I wrote everything I ate for a week. I, they do a thing called Grub Street Diet, and I think in the comments one guy's like, "This guy's gonna die! Like this guy's gonna die! Like this guy's dead! Like what is going? Like he's he's gonna have a heart attack tomorrow!" I was like, "God, maybe they're right." And why are um, foodies never fat? I, I don't know. Man. Are you taking it's one bite? Like, I don't I, understand. Yeah. I'm not a foodie. I, I can't <laughs> get I can't get it down. I mean, I, don't I got understand. a high metabolism. What's actually happening over here? Yeah, with the no, food? I, yeah, just I don't know, yeah. man. <laughs> I I take little bites of everything i don't know um no so so new york versus la so i love them both um i think new york is good for variety there's just just higher end stuff and like the, it's it's certainly amazing you can get anything at any time like i love that la i think is good for um to me korean mexican and then the san gabriel valley for eating for eating chinese food um but i you know i do lean towards new york um i i like living here a little bit more and like eating here a little more but you know la is great too they have great produce um best my favorite places i i've gotten to know um, because I'm so crazy about food, I've gotten to know a few chefs and, and people around town, and so I like their places a lot. Like I like, uh, you know, Dave Chang's places a lot. I like uh, uh, Batali's places, and I like uh, um, Major Food Group, who they just opened the grill in the pool. Those those places. Oh are really yeah, good yeah, the pool, Yeah, right they really pool just yeah. opened up. It's really good. Um, I went to the, I went to pool for my birthday, and and uh, yeah, it was it was really good. Um, but you know, there's new stuff all the time. There's new stuff all the time. And by the way, like. Not just not just the fancy stuff. It's like you know, like good halal carts or or you know, pizza by the slice or whatever. So you know, that's the halal guys have gone corporate. Halal guys are in L.A. Man, <laughs> I there's know, the halal, halal guys. I go to everywhere. L.A. and it's like halal guys in Shake Shack. It's like, well, this is just New York again. What's happening? <laughs> yeah. like, no, a lot of the New York restaurants have gone to L.A. because rent and space and X Y Z. But yeah, um, there's kind of I feel like there's almost been a food revolution going west. Uh, a lot of chefs here. It's always in the New York Times and so forth about chefs leaving New York. And, yeah, opening up and, out there. There's yeah. certainly more space. Certainly more space. But I don't know. New York's the best for food. Off TV, mm -hmm. you recently produced, uh, directed um, a video for Jay Z for the Four 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 album. Yeah. So, a natural fit. Yes, it was a natural <laughs> fit. It was like, Master he was like who can Nun. I get? Like, definitely this Asian dude from Master None. We got to like, get that's you the guy. to do the video. We got to get him to do it. Um, so the first question, I mean, I can't, I don't even know if this is legal. I mean, the first thing when I saw it was, is this legal? Definitely uh, did not think it was legal. <laughs> <laughs> when this idea came up, I definitely was like, they will never go for this. It was very crazy. So I maybe just, talk, it, it's a, for everyone, we are going to play uh, the intro, but just so Jay-Z had his latest record, 444. Yes. And secret it was a project. Secret, secret. Nobody knows what's going on. And he releases essentially the songs and then follows it every week with a video. So I'm assuming yes. they're all shot or most prior to the album. Yeah, being done. under this huge veil of secrecy. They definitely my commercial agent. How does nobody leak it first? Of all? Oh, man, they were draconian about security. I'll tell you how they didn't leak it. They were crazy about not giving people this so basically i'll tell you they 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 called me so my my commercial agent called me and and said uh i was in l.a for like two days and and he was like when are you going back to l.a i was like today at he's like when your flight i was like it's at four he's like do you want to meet jay-z at one i was like okay <laughs> that sounds good um and so they they're very strict about security so the first time they played me this song was in that meeting i knew nothing going in i knew i just walked in now, have you ever done a music video before never done a music video oh, but you love the call <laughs> yeah, yeah. great call yeah I'll, I'll, it seems like a good one to start with yeah. uh so they 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 called me in and um, they're like, okay, have you heard this song? I was like, no. And so like, okay, here it is. And they, if you say yes, they would be like, you're a leaker. I know. Right. You're a leaker. So, no one's heard the song. So she, 
You know, Chaka Pilgrim is Jay's manager, has been his manager for 30 years, and she calls Guru, his engineer. She's like, Guru, like, pull up Moonlight. And he was like, okay. And so the first time I heard the song was like on just her cell phone. I was like, what? I can't, I can't really hear it. And then the song finishes. She's like, all right, what do you got? I was like, I don't have anything. I, what, what do you mean? What, what is it? Where am I? This is crazy. So uh, she's, I was like, give me a day. <laughs> she's like, okay, you get a day. So, so I, I, on the plane ride back, I, you know, I came up with a couple ideas. I wrote a couple treatments. And so uh, I sent them to Chaka the next day. And I, I, I really liked one of them, which was the Friends idea, which was a crazy, it's just an insane idea. So I sent it to them. I was like, there's no way they're going to do either of these, I think. And then they called back, like, we're interested in this Friends idea. <laughs> I was like, okay, great. <laughs> and so uh, she, she, they were still a little skeptical. So I called Chaka, and she was in New York, fortunately. So we had drinks together. And I just sold her hard on the idea, and she was like, now, I'm not really, she's like, tell me about Friends. I don't really know anything about Friends. So I was like, okay, Friends was a comedy in the 90s, like, a lot of white people like it. Like, it was really, like, I just had to tell her what Friends was. And re what really saved me, I think, is she was, you know, she was not a huge fan of the show, but she was with her niece, who was, like, 22. I, I don't know why she was in that meeting, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> she, she, she said, uh, yeah, it was very <laughs> funny, right? And I, and I was like, uh, I was like, I read this piece, you know, in New York Magazine that said, not only is it popular amongst people my age, but, you know, kids, you know, who are 22 now are watching the show. And she's like, have you seen this show? And her niece was like, oh, yeah, I love it. She was like, okay, continue. <laughs> I was like, okay, great. So that really helped me. And, you know, we started talking about who would be in it. And we both really wanted Gerard Carmichael to be the kind of lead of it and, and play Ross. And so, again, the, sort of the same thing sort of happened as we got farther along is one, another crazy part of the story is the video was much more insane. At a certain point in the treatment, the first version was over the course of the video, my first pitch was we'd shoot the entire episode. We'd shoot the entire episode with all black cast. And over time, uh, people would, uh, each character would become a skeleton, <laughs> and so which is insane. It's a crazy idea. And so at a certain point, Jay-Z called me and the first thing he said was, uh, What's with these skeletons you love so much? I was like, okay, we're not doing skeletons. <laughs> yeah, he scared me <laughs> off the idea. It's like, and but he also was like, so I'm not really like a friend's head. Like, tell me about friends. I was like, okay, friends is a really popular show in the '90s. It was like, same thing. I was like, I get it. Um, but he, you know, he trusted me. He really trusted it's me. It's amazing who doesn't know about. Friends, yeah, I right? mean, there's a commonality there, yeah, right? Exactly. It's like, yeah, yeah, it's mostly for white people, but yeah. It's a, but uh, it it uh, <laughs> um, it definitely uh, you know, I had to sell them on it, and and but you know. All credit to them, like they they really trusted me, and it was a really fun process. Um, but yeah, that certainly like the 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 listening, the the whole thing was like getting on the same page with him was really important to me. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, just one last story. Definitely, uh, we we were close. We were close to sort of the the wire. We were down to the wire, and we were shooting the episode or shooting the the video on. I think Tuesday, and it was Sunday night, and we were still getting notes. Like I was still getting notes from Rock Nation and you know all those people and i was doing rewrites all the time because it's not you know it's actually was like a 15 page script because it's a fairly lengthy film and so sunday i was just saying hey can i just meet let me just sit down with jay and, and talk to him let's make sure we're on the same page before we shoot anything and they're like okay come by the studio so i went to the studio at um you know nine o'clock or something and just sat around for a couple hours waiting for him and then uh Finally, at like 11, they're like, okay, yeah, he can meet with you. So we met in this weird side room, and he's like drinking cognac. And, uh, you know, I, so we just hashed it out. I was like, okay, so what do you – I just said, hey, what does this song mean to you? Like, just tell me what the song means to you. What were you thinking about when you wrote it? And 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 uh, so he told me, and I was like, great. That sounds exactly like what I'm – you know, and we sort of got on the same page, and I figured out what exactly I wanted to do to rewrite it. And so I felt good, and then he left, and then I was starting to leave, and then uh, his manager's like, hey, do you want to hear the whole record? And I was like, yeah, of course I want to hear the whole album. So she's like, go down the hall and just turn right into that room. I was like, okay. So I walked down the hall and walked into the room, and it's like the main recording booth, and there's like 15 people there, including Jay. And the other people, it's a real random assortment of people. It's, uh, it's like a... Jesse Williams, uh, Chris Paul from the Clippers, Lana Del Rey, uh, and uh, Gerard Butler from the movie 300. <laughs> and I was like, what's, I was like, what's <laughs> going on? And they're all sitting down. They're just like, I was like, I'm just, and so I pulled in a chair from the hallway, like just like really awkwardly and like sit down. It's like, I want to hear the record. And uh, they, they, they said, okay, so this is what's going to happen. Um, Jay's going to play each song. And then afterwards, he's going to explain what each song meant to him. 
and then you guys are going to give your opinions on the song, and we're going to film the whole thing. I was like, what's going on here? So they bring in cameras, <laughs> and so, but I still want to hear the record. I still want to hear the, It's now like midnight or something. And so then, uh, still still there, and uh, uh, a producer runs in and whispers in my ear, hey, just to let you know, this is going to take three or four hours. I was like, okay. So now I'm here till three or whatever. So I was like, I still want to hear the record. So I sit there, and you know, he plays the first song. He talks about it, and... Um, you know, no one says anything. Because it's weird, you know, what are you going to say, something negative? Like, he's sitting there. <laughs> like, it would be weird. Um, so no one's really saying anything. So fine, like, people loosen up a little bit. And and I know one other person there, uh, uh, my friend Kenya Barris, who created the show Blackish. He's there. and We know each other. We've known each other for years. We used to play in the same basketball game for a long time. And so Kenya starts talking up and uh, starts speaking up. And, and he's really funny. And we know each other. So I was like, okay, now I feel confident. And so I started drinking some of the cognac. And we just started talking. And, and then it was fine. And, like, you know, finally, like, you know, we, we finished at, like, 3 in the morning or whatever. And so I went back to my hotel and just rewrote the entire video and then we shot it <laughs> it was very crazy but yeah it was like no it's amazing because the song is moonlight and it's yeah. a song about la la land uh winning the uh, best academy award best yeah. picture and it really goes to moonlight so we're stuck yeah. in la la land even when we win we're gonna lose um and your concept for that was to essentially shoot an episode of friends yeah with an all-black cast Scene for scene and shot for shot, yeah, shot for as shot. a real episode. Yeah, and then halfway through the video, a cell phone rings and the song plays, and it's it's incredible. I mean, it's one of my favorite videos that I personally ever oh, seen. Oh, thanks, but, man. But I'm gonna share it for the audience here, cool. at least the beginning, because yeah. it's it's pretty unbelievable. And then we can go into kind of how you pick the cast. You have Issa Rae. Yes, and so on yes, and so absolutely, forth. sure. So hold on one second. Okay, they got water, orange juice, and what looks like cider. Taste it. Yep, it's fat. I just drank fat. Yeah, I know, I did that two minutes ago. Hey. Hey, Mr. Tux. Why aren't you guys dressed? We have a half hour. No, four minutes ago you had a half hour. We have to be out the door at 20 to 8. Relax, Ross. We'll be ready. It only take us two minutes to get dressed. I'd feel a whole lot better if you got dressed now. Okay. okay. <laughs> hey, hey. Oh, look at you. All sexy. Really? Ooh. Oh, wow. Hi. Hi. How come you didn't come over earlier? Because I'm a stupid, stupid man. <laughs> so, look at you. Pretty close. Yeah, I just have to get dressed. Yay. And that takes, what, just six or seven minutes? Yeah, once I figure out what I'm wearing. <laughs> Glass of fat. You essentially shoot almost the whole episode yeah. of this with all black cast yeah. for an episode of Front Net. We now, had to build so the whole set. Because yeah, it's unbelievable. It's, it's crazy. That this is a video concept and it made it through legal. It, yeah. And no they, one went crazy. They or were really, everybody's fun. Or they were pretty. I, I was shocked that it made it. That we made the video. I mean, it really, we really was shocked. I thought they would get shut down at any time, like from somebody's lawyers, like Rock Nation. And so after we made it, they were still worried. And so m probably a month after we shot it, they they said, "Hey, can you write a like a explanation of what what how this is satire or how this is you know parody?" And so I went, yeah, I went crazy. I, w I went to like the 
I, I Wikipedia parody, and then I, no, but I, I definitely, um, I yeah, I wrote a really lengthy thing, and just I looked up the cast of Friends, and you know how long it took them to add any like any major black character, and it's basically till season nine or something. It was they added Aisha Tyler, so it was something like you know 190 episodes or something. Then they added a black character, kind of a black, you know, like at the at the very end, and uh, um, then then I yeah I ended up writing a super long essay in like an hour and emailing it back to them and I think they were surprised by at the length of it but um, y yeah I mean I don't know I guess it's parody I, I hope the first you know when people first saw this at least I have title but yeah. you know so I was tuning in every Friday. you're one of the yeah, the, yeah I'm one, of, one the, of the proud you know, yeah yeah <laughs> limited edition yeah. but I would have never thought an Asian guy would have come up with this or you know someone who you know I'm thinking it's Jay-Z or a concept from somebody but really, what what gave you the inclination to make this the video for Moonlight? I mean, because it's really a, a huge statement on culture and friends really gets a lot of uh, for those who are in the know. Um, few people feel like friends was actually a knockoff of a living single, which was yes. six women living in New York City. And the head of the head of NBC had said, let's make uh, that. But with white people, exactly. and I'll make a billion dollars. Exactly. That he did that. That's exactly. like amazing. Yeah. So, yeah. No, I, yeah, I, I, I don't know, man. I, it's hard to know exactly where it came from, but I definitely, you know, Friends had been a show that we had talked about a lot in our writer's room at Parks and Rec and, and sort of the pros and cons. I think it's a well-made show. There's no slam on Friends. And, and, and uh, you know, I felt like the song, you know, I don't think he meant it like specifically to be about representation and culture, but there's certainly aspects of that in there. And when we talked about it, you know, he, he mentioned how that did relate to it. So, um, yeah, I don't know. And I, I you know, it, tracing it back, you know, I just looked at like watching those things back to back. It's like, oh, maybe because I met Matt LeBlanc the year before. <laughs> like yeah, that was part of it. But, but, but no, it was funny. I, I did. So we had this video and we were going to shoot it. And um, I did a panel like the week before we shot the video. And it was me. Uh, Judd Apatow and Mark Kaufman, who created Friends, <laughs> and I just couldn't say anything. I was like, "Oh, hey, how are you?" Like, because I know her a little bit, but it was very. It was like, <laughs> "I hope you're okay with this. Yeah, I don't mean any. I don't. Yeah, I don't mean you any harm. Uh, it's certainly, yeah. It's just, but you know, it's a different time. It also was a different time. It and what was did the actors time, think so. about it? Were they excited for the project? Because you got a great cast. This yeah, that was, a list up and comers. Yeah, we were. Of, uh, I was really happy with the cast, man. I've known so I've known Gerard Carmichael, who plays Ross, and I've known him for years, and so. Um, he was really a linchpin for us because he's friends with Jay too and so um, we both wanted him and he was kind of you know he's very selective about what he does and so um, yeah fortunately he was in New York at the time and I called him and he came over to my apartment and we just had dinner and he's just like the the sweetest nicest guy and very thoughtful so I just I just sold him and I just I really told him I thought it'd be special and and, and explained what what it meant to me and, and he told me some of his ideas um, and it kind of snowballed from there. You know, Issa Rae was always, it's essentially almost everyone in the video I had listed in my treat, original treatment. Like, honestly, like so many of the people, because this is the, my favorite people, you know, Lakeith from Atlanta and Lil Rel from Get Out and, and uh, Tessa. Yeah, Tessa's going to be blown. She's in, she's in the new Thor movie. And, and Tiffany Haddish, basically, you know, this before was made, the Will Smith before story. girl, yeah, before girl, uh, before girls trip. I was like, this is so crazy. After girls trip came out, I, I, you know, I texted her and I was like, man, this is incredible. Like, you're so funny in that movie. You had like a Melissa McCarthy level breakout in that movie. Um, and so, yeah, I really think you know all these people are going to be, you know, they're going to be on our radars for 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 years and years to come. And we couldn't have been more excited to have them. Yeah, it's a great concept. Yeah. Now, do you all work together? So, uh, kind of the underrepresented people in Hollywood, the Ava <laughs> DuVernays and the uh, Carmi people of color mafia yeah uh, POC yeah, mafia it's, it's, is, is everybody kind of yeah. linking and uh, uh, I'm not allowed to talk and, about it yeah. but yeah <laughs> no. sharing notes in a we, back room it somewhere. is it is an interesting thing though you do talk I mean like honestly like it is you know I met David DuVernay probably two weeks ago uh, Riz Ahmed you know I met pretty recently um, you know all Asian people we got to stick together you know I know Randall Park and Steven Yoon and Constance Wu and you, you do because you run into each other and stuff and you do talk you, you like I think Randall Park like saw me on a plane he's like hey uh, I'm Randall like let's talk about stuff so like we just talked about it was like yeah okay yeah <laughs> I mean it's because because there, there aren't that many of us yeah. so we got to stick together but it's exciting because you know um, I do have a thing next year that is you know of a movie that I'm going to direct that is in, uh, basically an all Asian cast so um, yeah that'll be one of the next things I do for sure.
So I was going to ask you what's next for you. Uh, also, you just signed to do television commercials. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, commercials I think you for need sure. To start working with some of these clients and brands. Absolutely, man. Um, on Madison Ave and, and kind of put your eye and vision and lens on some creative messages. Yeah, I'd love to. Uh, it's definitely necessary um, as more ads come out and the proliferation of of the marketplace grows. It, it's good to see some some different people behind the camera directing. So. Um, Hopefully we can work with you for some more commercials. Now, do you all work together? So uh, kind of the underrepresented people in Hollywood, the <laughs> Ava DuVernay's and the uh, Carmichael. People of color mafia? Yeah. Uh, POC yeah, mafia? It's, it's, is, is everybody it, kind yeah. of linking and uh, uh I'm not allowed to talk and, about it, yeah. but yeah. <laughs> no. Sharing notes in a we, back room it somewhere. Is, it is an interesting thing, though. You do talk. I mean, like, honestly, like. It is, you know, I met Ava DuVernay probably two weeks ago. Uh, Riz Ahmed, you know, I met pretty recently. Um, you know, all Asian people, we got to stick together. You know, I know Randall Park and Steven Yoon and Constance Wu, and you, you do because you run into each other and stuff, and you do talk. You, you like, I think Randall Park like saw me on a plane. He's like, hey, uh, I'm Randall. Like, let's talk about stuff. So like, we just talked about. Stuff. It was like, yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's because because there there aren't that many of us, yeah. so we got to stick together. But it's exciting because you know. Um, I do have a thing next year that is, you know, of a movie that I'm going to direct that is in, uh, basically an all-Asian cast. So, um, yeah, that'll be one of the next things I do for sure. So I was going to ask you what's next for you. Uh, also, you just signed to do television commercials. So Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Because I think you need sure. to start working with some of these clients and brands. Absolutely, man. Um, on Madison Ave and, and kind of put your eye and vision and lens on some creative messages. Yeah, I'd love to. Uh, it's definitely necessary um, as more ads come out and – the proliferation of, of the marketplace grows. It, it's good to see some some different people behind the camera directing. So um, yeah. hopefully we can work with you for some more commercials. And w Let's and talk. what else do you have next? Uh, so you have a, a movie so, coming out. Yes. You have a show so, with Amazon. So the Amazon show stars my Rudolph and Fred Armisen, and we're mm -hmm. going to shoot that in June. We're or sorry, January. We're very excited about that. We're we're writing it right now. I think it's going really, really well. Um, we've got a great writing staff on that. So yeah, I'll be directing, and you know, we show, I'm show running that show right now with my friend Matt Hubbard, and uh, so that'll shoot from January to March, and we'll edit it that, and then yeah. So this movie is I'm not allowed to say too much about it yet, but uh, yeah. So I'll be shooting that next year as well. So those are the next two things, and then you know we'll see what happens with Master of None as well. Okay. Well, we're going to open this up for Q&A. Right. Uh, in the meantime, while we get some hands raised, yep. what would be some of your uh, some advice for rising stars, writers, or uh, people that want to pitch their content shows? Um, do you have a couple tips or strategies just uh, that yeah. you would give off the top of your uh, head while we uh, lasso some Q&A? Number one strategies, this is not helpful, but uh, work really hard, write every day and be really nice to people. <laughs> like it's it's really okay, like that's a big that. part of it. Like that's like it's there's no secret, man. Figure out what f figure out what you're best at. Like re figure out what you can do, what you're what's special about you, what's special about your point of view, what's unique about you and 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 focus on that. I think would be the other thing. You've been listening to the Disruptor Series podcast brought to you by TBWA Shy Day New York. Craving more disruption? Visit us at tbwashyatny.tumblr.com.